there are ways that we can invite people in through inclusion, get them to lean into their strengths, but it starts with that kind of self-awareness. And we don't do that in school. We, in fact, we try to, I think, erase a lot of that with like, we want conformity, but actually how we're going to succeed is, is by not conforming, is by being different and being brave enough to speak our minds. Hey guys, welcome back to part two of our conversation with Danica about alternative education. If you haven't checked out part one, I would highly recommend you do because she talks about all this crazy shit that she did at school. She basically continues that in this episode, but also gives some really important work and life advice at the end. So let's just jump straight into it. work showed for itself because we did things like we did model UN. We also did a town simulation. This was a genius idea. This was genius. So Dave kind of started it, but Brian was the one that Dave told me recently who really took off with town simulation. Uh, So someone was the banker. So Asia was the banker. And if you wanted to start a school or open a shop, well, you had to get a loan from the bank. So she actually went to the bank, you know, 13 years old. I think we were grade eight then, 13 years old. She goes to the bank and she says, look, I'm doing a project for school. Uh, What do loan forms look like? Like if somebody wanted a loan, a business loan, do you have any blank documents? So she got this whole folder with all the documents. The banker was super sweet, had put like little sticky notes in it to explain what each one was, had all the rules. And so Asia was a hard ass. She was awful to get a loan from. I (laughs) I started a newspaper and I wound up just doing it and pre-selling because I wanted a loan and I didn't read or fill out the forms. And I was like, we're best friends. She'll just give it to me. (laughs) No. She's like, you didn't fill out my forms. I'm like, I know. But she's like, well, that's not a business plan. (laughs) Oh my God. Wait, so was this... Uh, time dedicated to have a town simulation would would this be a consistent yeah thing yeah yeah for how long yeah, because uh I don't know how long that ran for I mean at least a month but maybe two and yeah, so maybe. you'd have your class work or whatever it was and your other projects and this would be sort of on the side as well no it was part of the class work I mean if you want to think about it in terms of what traditional courses it would be civics, politics, different levels of government, economics, microeconomics, certainly. So you're mashing every sort of, from different sectors, what you would consider five different subjects and just putting them together. Yeah. And why not? Because that's how we live. Oh, yeah. Right? Interdisciplinary like you, learning. Well, yeah, but it, oh, yeah, that. there you go. There yeah. you go. So that's like, that's a phrase that we know now. I didn't know that phrase then. But I remember thinking, like later when I went to high school, like, why do I have like my economics class and my finance class and my politics class? Why are they separate? You, sh- you actually should be. I mean, that's how the world works, right? We're not in a vacuum. And so actually what we saw was the importance of, you know, the, the, a decision that the mayor made um, to close down a road affected so many other businesses. One of the businesses had to close. I mean, that's, that's real world stuff. I mean, we're even seeing it like this year with COVID. So I don't know what Horizon's doing now, but they could, you know, they could do a model of 
the ramifications of the pandemic. Where are the opportunities? What businesses have opportunities? What businesses are struggling? How can they pivot or rebrand? In some schools now, you might call it entrepreneurship as well because there's some colleges, universities, and even high schools that are teaching that kind of thinking with overlap. But this was so creative and it was, Joe, it was so fun. So I was running I the newspaper do it. I want to go to and I could, they could not get me out of the school. Cause I was like, no, I got to write up the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, Danica's eight pages. Also it was like back in the day. So the computers were not so great. Oh, and so sometimes I would send it to the printer and the whole thing would crash and I would <laughs> lose the whole thing, but I wasn't really into editing. Uh, and it actually kind of made my paper better because I had to rewrite it a few times, Yeah. but I wanted it out. So it was like, Thursday night, but I'm like, but the paper has to be out for Friday. And I'm at, I'm begging my teacher, can you come in early tomorrow? And he's like, I'm not going to come in that early. I'm like, okay, well, what time are you here? And me, not a morning person, especially at age 13, like I'm getting my mom, like, you've got to get me to school. You got to get me to school at 8 15. And she's like, what's going on? <laughs> I got to get, <laughs> get the paper out. This was act, this was a part of a class. And why not make that you know, your extracurricular, why isn't it curricular? <laughs> why isn't it part I, of I totally agree. It's, it's, but it's also because um, I only went to traditional schooling. So it was do your work, go to class that you don't really like. And then after school, this is where it's fun. You know, you go to choir, you go to play sport, you go to do all these things. And we sort of, we, we condition ourselves to think of these two as completely separate and to, some like with your experience associating the fun and the potentially relaxation with work that would have to me at 13 mind blown i'd be like yeah. no it doesn't exist <laughs> which which is a shame because i think then what we're doing is we're pounding the the excitement for learning and the creativity out of people and what are we telling people now be a lifelong learner well we've actually disincentivized people to continue learning or little Danica in grade four told, you know what, just let it go. Like stop asking questions, just let it go. If you looked at traditional schooling and you had the power to be like, I want to change that first, what would you change? I think you can't boil the ocean. I actually think lasting change comes in small micro steps. So I think the biggest simplest change that underpins everything is the accountability for learning. It should be the student's responsibility. It should be, it's incumbent on the teacher. Uh, in, in one of your earlier podcasts with Rick on, he was saying, you know, if, if students asking are asking him a question, it's, have I not explained it well? What an extraordinary teacher for him to be able to say that. But if you think of a lot of the teachers you've had in your life, I don't think that's their first question. <laughs> I cannot even it should be anymore. it yeah. should be like yeah. like give people the benefit of the doubt they're not all like all millennials are so lazy that is that's actually not what I've found so what is it in your approach that you're thinking millennials are lazy or entitled or trying to get away with something oh they're just asking because they don't want to do the assignment I don't think that's true but I think even as a teacher if you if you blame the student then you don't have to do anything. Mm. So where's as a teacher, what's your sense of accountability? And as a learner, what's your sense of accountability? 
Like I ran an inner city day camp, a United Way camp. And it was very diverse, um, like culturally, but socioeconomically as well. There were um, like lower income projects across the street. There was a doctor's hospital behind us. The U of T, University of Toronto was right down the street. So we had a mix, professors, kids, kids from the projects, uh, doctors. And even in that, the beginning of the year, beginning of the summer, I said, and every week if we had new kids, I said, look, I could force a bunch of rules on you. The easiest way is if you want to be here and you want it to be a good experience. And so we would come up with what I called a, a charter. It was basically a code of conduct, code of behavior. Everybody, we would crowdsource what we wanted. Like, okay, me and the counselors, we had, you know, what are the rules, right? Like, don't run out into traffic. We were on a busy street. So we had all that. But often those rules are like, don't, 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 don't. Where's the affirmation? So how about just saying respect each other, play safely, don't run out in traffic or play safely. Actually, play safely, it's positive and it kind of encompasses more than, well, I didn't run into traffic. I stayed in this park and picked up this needle. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what gonna, are you doing? <laughs> great. So am I going to write up all the don't, 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 or just be like, oh, hey, whoa, whoa, Joe, back away from that. That's not playing safely. We agreed we were going to do that. And it's not, it's not soft because the kids agreed to it and they wrote it and I would have them take turns writing it in their own handwriting and put it up on the wall and you could point to it. But actually, even just in that gesture, they felt responsible and responsible for each other. And I learned that from Horizon and I brought that into this day camp. And one of the doctors from the doctor hospital was like, I love this approach because his daughter came home and wrote up the, like, the charter that we agreed to. And said, Daddy, it's so great. And her comment was, it doesn't say no bullying, uh, don't do this. And he said, Danica, I never thought about it that way. The time that we spent in the beginning, think about prevention, right? The time that you spend in prevention, the time that you spend inviting them in on the first morning of the first day, how do you welcome people to your organization? If they're kids in a day camp, if they're new university students, if they're new hires, that's going to set the tone. And so inviting them in and saying, look, this is your space and we can have a great time and having pictures from past years and stuff. Uh, we would do field trips and we had a bit of a budget and we would ask them where they wanted to go. You know, someone wanted to go to Niagara Falls. That's like a four hour drive. That's not happening. That's off the table. <laughs> good, good suggestion, but... Uh... <laughs> But what do you like about it? You want to be outdoors. You want to see nature. You want to see something that you can't see in the city. Okay, so we went to the island, which you can take the subway and a ferry. But, but still, not saying that's a terrible idea. Well, how can we make that work? What do you like about that? It's just a different approach, but it starts with mutual respect. And for the most part, did we have anyone that resisted? Yes, but not for the reasons that someone would resist that list of rules and don't, 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 where you're always going to have some that are going to push those boundaries. Sometimes me, how firm is that? <laughs> yeah. I, I th there is such a huge trend from what you said, from what Rick said, from the most recent uh, with Kelly. It's all about including people in the process because by doing that, they will be more motivated to actually do the, do the thing that you are asking them to do because 
they feel like they have a choice now because they're part of the process. It doesn't make sense to back out because they've also agreed upon this thing as well. And I, I think back to the school camps that I went on and why I can barely remember anything. And it's because we got everything planned for us. We didn't really have a choice in what we did. Even in a year nine camp, we went to the Northern Territory, which is absolutely incredible. But everything was planned to the T. I actually wrote a diary. I cannot remember any, you know what I ended up writing most about? The food. <laughs> every, every diary entry was like, I ate this. Okay, next. And, and we had this really disgusting, mushed up like minced meat. I don't know what we called it. It was disgusting. So yeah, I looked through my diary and it was a ham steak. I basically drew a picture and wrote for dinner, it was ham steak, dot, dot, dot. Didn't know even existed. <laughs> Turns out my English wasn't too good either. If the, if the only memorable things are the food and the, and the people that I was with, but not the actual things we did, it's not memorable because we never chose what to do. And I think if you're able to give people a choice, it, it's not only going to get people more motivated to do it, but also remember it for the future and actually have it stick with them, like what Horizon was for you. What would a typical day be at Horizon? So we always started with a morning meeting. Always. We would have a big general meeting once a week. It was a brief meeting. So, you know, normally in school, you've got like the announcements like, this is the principle, you know, whatever. Uh, but we would do it as a meeting. But it was 90 kids all in a room. And very quickly, they'd get us to hush. Now, Brian told the same joke every morning. This coffee tastes like dirt. Funny, it was fresh ground this morning. Wow. Oh, that's where but I you would have left would... Horizon. Anyway. <laughs> well, we would wind up calling it out with him. But yeah. then that was kind of like, okay, this meeting's called to order. Now, there were some people, there's one guy that used to um, put lighter fluid on his hand and light it on fire from time oh. to time. Wait, yeah. just in the meeting? Did you acknowledge, did anyone turn their heads? Uh, yes. Maybe it happened like four or five times in the year, but the teachers were used to him. And I, I asked Dave when I spoke to him recently about that. And he was like, oh yeah. And he remembered, of course, the kid. And I said, I didn't know what to do because I'm someone that like, you know, I saw a bird with a broken wing definitely dead when I was seven. Oh. And I'm like, took off my coat in the middle of winter and scooped it up and carried it home. And my mom's like, the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a car. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was a white down coat. So it had like blood smear on it. And oh God. yeah, but I was like, oh, can you fix it? So, <laughs> you know, the first time this guy did this, I was like, going to get water and douse it. And how do we help him? And kind of nobody was doing anything. He was in grade eight. And I was in grade seven. Um, so the teachers just kind of knew he was acting out a bit and trying to get attention. And they were so casual, but they were just like, oh, did you have something to add? Mm. And everybody turned and looked. And he's like, nope, not today. Right. And they're like, okay, well, we're glad you're here. And right back. And it's like, wow, you really 
handle that without conflict, without yelling, without sending him to the principal's office. And who knows what his home life was like, because frankly, at school and at work, we ignore those factors, except now with COVID, when you see people's kids or dogs. I mean, even my bulldog walked in this evening. There's a lot of that um, happening and humanizing people a little bit. But you know, if you're teaching kids or students, even if you're working with adults, who knows what their personal life is like? And kids don't have a lot of choice and agency in their own homes. And so maybe this was his way of crying for help or daring the teachers to kick him out. And they didn't. This was their return of unconditional love and acceptance. I don't know. This is my adult brain and conjecture, except I, I called Dave about a month ago and I did specifically ask about that. And he was like, oh yeah. And I said, like, tell, tell me about it. And he was like, well, everyone just needs to be seen and heard. And that was what he said. And he, but he was so gracious and so clearly in control in a way that I had never seen because he saw that kid, you know, he spoke exactly the right words. So we, at the end of the year, we did a major field trip. So the, the, the camping trip was a lead up to the major field trip and we did fundraising. We went to Cape Cod the first year. So we did it in like two days and then we went to Washington, D.C. the next year. Um, so we fundraise for it. We have different teams. Like I was on the hotel team. So I actually phoned different hotels to get different rates. Oh, that's awesome. So you, yeah. that's what I would have liked in my camp to just choose what to do or choose where to stay or. Well, and students proposed different places. Like someone said Paris, but then when we looked at what the estimated cost would be, it was going to be too expensive. When once we decide on Cape Cod, then we called different hotels, and and I called and I remember like I'm a grade seven student in Toronto. We're gonna bring a class with grown up teachers. We're very well behaved because of course we're Canadian. I mean I have my whole because uh, <laughs> I'm Canadian and American, so I had my whole pitch down. Yep. And uh, you know we're fundraising for this, and that that's hard for kids to do. Could you give us a discount? Oh, what do they say? I mean, I got different rates and different discounts. And then I started playing them off each other. Like there was a Provincetown Inn that we wound up, stay, wound up staying at. Um, actually, this was, no, it was grade, it was grade eight going to Washington that I did that. We stayed at the Carlisle Suites, but that was when I was like, okay, let me call around and, and see. And so I called them back and said, well, this hotel is giving us this t- discount. I really liked your manner and I liked the art deco in the front, blah, blah, blah. And so they gave us a better rate. They matched it. Mm. 13-year-old Danica doing <laughs> crazy shit. <laughs> Negotiation skills. Yeah. But that was the school. I mean, if we hadn't, we asked that of Dave too. If we hadn't found a place to stay, would they have stepped in? Yes. But he said he couldn't think of it, of an example where someone had really pooched you know, not ordering the buses or there were some essential things that they took care of and like getting the parent volunteers and who had first aid training and passports, things like that. But for the most part, we actually did it and we did it because we were accountable to each other and we wanted to make the trip happen. And they gave us time in class to do it. It wasn't extracurricular. It was part of what we were doing, but think about what we learned, right? 
I'm cold calling hotels in Washington, D.C. We're planning out our trip. We're looking up maps and where you could stay in between. And in preparation all through the year, so that was a major field trip. Another cool assignment that we had was every other week on Thursday afternoons, we had what was called an IFT, which was a independent field trip, intercity, inner city field trip. And we were supposed to come up with a proposal and then go in teams. So some of the adventurous students, um, one of them, Dad's Cookies, which makes oatmeal cookies, had a plant in Toronto. And another one was a Bix Pickles. And so they called them and they got tours. So they came back with like lots of pickles or another group <laughs> came back with lots of cookies. And the, you know, the vice president of sales or whatever sent a letter on letterhead to the principal and to our teachers saying, I have rarely met such a poised group of, from any organization, let alone a middle school. What were they shocked most about? Well, I mean, we would have prepared questions. So Asia's mom was a theater prof at York University. And so she got us into the costume department in their drama department. We had to prepare questions and show them to, and you prepared them again as part of class with the teachers like the week before and planned out what you were going to say and what you wanted to know. And then because it was costumes, um, I got to take a camera and take photographs. I think they were surprised with the creativity of the kids. You couldn't come up with something like ev all the time, but we, uh, they had a new extension to the subway. <laughs> so Asia was like, let's ride the subway and write a comparison, oh. which sounds really like Bobo. And I was like, I'm totally into that. We're just going to hang out for three hours. That's great. <laughs> But then we actually wound up, I didn't know the word ethnography or anthropology, but we wound up writing about the different people that we saw. So we got on downtown, we went through the financial sector, and then you got higher up, and then you went out east, and then you went to like the suburbs in Scarborough on the light rail transit, which was outdoors, above ground, but also pretty far out in the suburbs. Like to drive from downtown Toronto, it's an hour, hour and a half. So it's people that are less affluent. It's suburban. So we were commenting on their clothes, if we could hear their music, the way people sat. Did they sit together? Did they interact or did they just look forward? So we mm -hmm. actually, it was amazing. And again, yeah. I took photos. Wow. wow. So we did yeah, a photo yeah. essay and an anthropology assignment hmm. where really we were even like, oh yeah, we're going to totally screw the pooch on this one. But then we wound up working really hard and it was super cool. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, typical day. <laughs> typical day at home. Oh, right? my goodness. I right. like, I think, I, think I got circle. to the meeting. I got to the meeting. Um, the teachers would facilitate. It was everybody. And it was brief. Really, really brief. Um, kind of just announcements. And then we would go to the different classes. And you had a class schedule and you would rotate. So we had French. We had science. We had kind of the art stuff. So, like, it might be art. We did creative writing and journaling. We did, um, what else did Marm do? Uh, drama, theater. We had music. We had a music teacher from the Board of Ed. And so he came around to the different schools. So some of us were in band or strings. Um, we did swimming once a week. So that was all, you know, set up like your regular schedule. 
but actually you would have a period for when we were doing town, like town simulation. Right. And so with the other subjects like art, like French and everything, how were they, how were they carried out? Because I can see that it was it still different from how you did it traditionally? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, French, maybe not because you're learning the basics of a language, but we did do a lot of music in that. We learned to sing the national anthem in French. <laughs> nice. Uh, Patriotic. Which yeah. most, most people in Canada do 50, 50 yeah. with the yeah. national anthem. Cause we are a bilingual country. Um, even just incorporating creative writing and theater into like the arts teaching was pretty cool. Mm. So I think pedagogically it must've been different. Like nothing was yeah. really wrote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that you did, it just sounds like Horizon was a lot more practical in its approach. A lot more, at, they, they gave you context <laughs> behind why you needed to know the things you were learning. So you could actually directly apply it also you knew what to improve on through the weekly reviews so horizon's doing something really incredible here and i mean in melbourne and the reason why i wanted to go into the alternative sec sector is because i didn't actually figure out what alternative schooling was until this year basically no one really knows or they view it as strange because in melbourne it's very uncommon and we're so used to the traditional schooling, which isn't even helping, which, you know, it's not working, but we still rely on it because it's something that's part of our culture. But I'm hoping that we change that because alternative schooling is actually what we should consider normal schooling in the future. I think so. Alternative schooling is not still, it hasn't taken off the way I would have hoped uh, in Montreal or, or even in Toronto. However, now that we're seeing this shift in 21st century skills, skills needed for the workforce, a lot of the jobs, I mean, our, our teaching and training is for the industrial age. And I think we've known that for a while. So for example, if we are trained for memorization and regurgitation, do we really need that skill anymore? Because we've got Google. And I'm not saying that we're lazy, but if you look at the Kirkpatrick model, that's not really the highest level. That's like level one or two of learning. For those of you who have no idea what this model is, so basically me, it's actually a four level pyramid of training. So the first two are reaction and learning. They're quite basic. And then it goes into behavior and results. So training in a way that you're not just absorbing material, but you're actually doing something with it. So you can't really dig in, you're not going to create real lasting behavioral change. How deep are you going to be learning? Like if I watch a video of heart surgery, do you want me to be your heart surgeon? I don't think so. Like I read it in a textbook and I memorized it. Okay. I'm good. I'm good to go. Hey, I got an A plus on that test. Um, yeah. yeah. And what does that even show? You're good at watching videos and then regurgitating. <laughs> Yikes. Being right. But can you actually be a heart surgeon? So yeah. um, getting to those deeper levels, but also that we have a lot of, so I'm a mentor at Next AI. I've worked with AI startups for a few years now. When we look at artificial intelligence and, and even further into quantum computing, uh, there's a lot that systems can do. There's a lot of work that can be automated. 
So what is the other work for human beings? And maybe we've automated in some ways too quickly, but I think it's here to stay and it's not all bad. And so we need to actually be training for different ways of working. And I think that that economic pressure and opportunity is going to push education because all of us saying it's not working is true. It hasn't really changed anything. Thanks for sticking around so far. Now on to the last part. I spent the last three years as a sales manager, managing sales for McGraw-Hill, which is a publisher for all of Eastern Canada. And they were getting a lot of questions from parents, from students, from businesses saying like, what are you teaching students? Because then they graduate and I still have to teach them how to work and how to do their jobs. And students, some of which were going more to colleges, say, than universities because they wanted that applied learning. So, you know, you could study theories of marketing and the four Ps in a university. And if you study, this is gross generalization, but in the North American education system, if you study marketing in a college, it's more applied. Like, hey, create a marketing campaign. Create a, a social campaign. And that's what students want. That's what businesses want. Now. Then you question post-secondary education, is it really to create jobs? But I think that it is. And I think that the way that we've been denigrating the humanities is a travesty, not just because I have an English degree, but actually those are the skills that we need in the future. And I can send you two articles. One is Fast Company about how everyone should be getting a humanities degree because AI will get rid of a lot of the other uh, you know, learning that you get from, say, accounting. Um, and the other is Mark Cuban saying everybody should get a humanities. Guys, have your kids get humanities degrees because what do we learn? We learn problem solving, lateral thinking, creativity. So actually, I think we're at an existential moment now that COVID has in some ways accelerated it and you could bring in climate change as well. But it's time for us to rethink how we do everything. And I think there's a real opportunity to make things better. And that's not to say everyone should go to alternative school or everybody should be creative. No, we need very different teams. We need your linear thinkers with your lateral thinkers. We need your challengers and your peacemakers. And that's how we're going to come up with great solutions. And I think it's also just letting, the, letting students discover that for themselves. Who are they? Are they more linear thinkers? Are they more like this? Let them discover through these more these activities that offer more freedom uh, in how you actually learn for students to actually discover who are they. <laughs> and I, I would say adults too. At McGraw-Hill, they paid for the Gallup Strengths uh, Assessment. It basically pulls like common strengths that comes up with your top five. So the idea is you could learn to write with your non-dominant hand, but it's never going to be comfortable. So why not just lean in to what your strengths are and make them better? Because your unique combination is what makes you you, and the world needs that now. And it's so validating. And I would say, I, don't, I can't think of anybody that wasn't surprised by at least one or two of them. Then what McGraw-Hill did was they said, okay, these are your strengths. What are you interested in developing? What do you want to learn? So I put down product management because I never worked in that side of a business. So they had stretch projects. They had an algorithm that paired you with a mentor. And then 
they had like a real, not a Bobo project or not like, you know, meet with this person once and ask them questions. What's it like to be in product mm-hmm. management? No, no, no. They had a real project that they were working on and I was on the committee and it was three months and it was amazing. So there are ways that we can invite people in through inclusion, get them to lean into their strengths, but it starts with that kind of self-awareness and we don't do that in school. We, in fact, we try to, I think, erase a lot of that with like, we want conformity. That's the structures that are in place now. But actually how we're going to succeed is, is, is by not conforming, is by being different and being brave enough to speak our minds. Okay, so I'm thinking let's, let's wrap it up with some rapid fire okay. and just some random questions. So first, any quotes or sayings that you particularly like? I mean, probably a million. I've got them all stored. But the one that just popped in my head is... Uh, from Maya Angelou, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she says, there's no pain like the pain of the untold story inside of you bubbling and ready to come out. So that's been on my mind lately. Nice. Uh, and if you're looking to hire someone, what skills or qualities you would you really, really look for in a candidate? When you started to ask the question, I was going to say it depends on the role, but actually it doesn't. I want someone who is coachable, hungry for feedback, and collaborative. And what advice would you give to students who are graduating? Also, what would you advise them not to do or not to listen to? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Learn what your strengths are, and you can be good at something you don't like, and that's okay. But think about what you like that you're good at, where work doesn't feel like work. Think about a time, and it it may be in school or it may be one of your extracurricular activities. It may even be babysitting, who knows? But something that you've done, water skiing, something that you've done where you worked really, really hard and it didn't feel like work. Now, what were you doing? Are there other examples? Can you spot a trend? Uh, I would do some of those kind of assessments if that's your thing, but just ask, ask people that know you well, that you trust at least five from different facets of your life, because they'll give you different reflections back. Because when you know what you're good at and you're really intentional about what you like, work doesn't have to feel like work. Now, it may be that there's a great um, TED talk from Elizabeth Gilbert, who's a writer. It may be that that's not what you're remunerated for. To size somebody up and to give our worth based on how much money we earn, um, think of think of music that you like. Think of something that's really, really moved you. Now, is that person like a billionaire? Um, I don't think that that's how... I think our society measures worth in weird ways. So I'd say don't listen to people going, what are you going to do with that? Because actually... I know a lot of people in their 40s now who we have kids and we're stressed and we're tired and we've worked so hard for what? I know someone who has an MBA, a PhD in engineering. She's run her own company and she's like, you know what? Why did, why did I do all of this? I didn't want any of it. I didn't want to feel like this at this age. So you can be successful and make a lot of money and still not feel good. So why not start out with that in mind? 
defining your own and see, version of success. Yeah, yeah, and just be open. Uh, well, we sort of covered on this, but in school, what do you wish was taught back in, say, traditional schooling? Because I feel like it was sort of covered in alternative, or maybe not, but something that you wish you learned. Actually, I have a great simple answer, home economics. Oh, we should, we should bring back home ec. There are uh, university students who don't know how to balance a checkbook, who don't know how to cook for themselves. In Quebec, they've now made um, personal finance a mandatory half-year course in high school. Oh, wow. Okay, we, yeah. we need that. <laughs> we Everyone needs that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danica. It's been an absolute pleasure. I always love talking to you. welcome thank you let's stop the recording but let's blah blah for a minute yeah so hope you enjoyed this conversation with danica you can find her on linkedin and if you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast please email it's jjyang at gmail.com as always a very special thank you to danica for being a part of ready to redo see you next week